Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast presented by ESPN and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who along with Daryl Morey co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Good afternoon and thanks again for joining us at the 2021 Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. My name is Jack Blasberg and I'm a first year MBA student at MIT Sloan. And it's my pleasure to introduce our panel, Beyond the Gambit, Chess's Big Move. Our panelists today are Jennifer Shahadi, Grandmaster and Director of US Chess Women, Hikaru Nakamura, Grandmaster and Chess Streamer, Robert Hess, Grandmaster, Coach and Commentator, and Daryl Morey, President of Basketball Operations at the Philadelphia 76ers. Our panel will be moderated by Danny Wrench, Chief Chess Officer at Chess.com. The panel will run for 35 minutes and we will leave 10 minutes at the end for questions. Please use Twitter to submit questions for our panelists using the hashtag Beyond the Gambit. Questions will then be selected by the moderator. With that, I'll turn it over to Danny. Thank you, Jack, and uh, welcome everyone. Excited to be here. As, uh, as the description to the Beyond the Gambit segment here says, and obviously Jack introed everybody, I think we got to dive right into what's happened with chess this year. People know about the Queen's Gambit. A lot of people have seen chess grow online as an esport, an iSport, whatever you want to call it, but probably the guy who's most qualified to talk about everything that has changed here online is Hikaru Nakamura. Hikaru, I've got you listed here, all the things I wanted to mention. You are the largest chess streamer, probably the most active chess streamer, the first super grandmaster to really bring chess into the forefront as an eSport, iSport online. You're also the only super grandmaster and, and the first chess professional who signed with an eSports organization at TSM. So I, I wanna ask you to start. What, what, what has changed in your, from your perspective the most this year in terms of how chess is perceived, the new audience that has come in, and what have you maybe learned about how you talk about chess and how you presented chess to different audiences as things have changed so much for the game online? Yeah, so first of all, it's great to be here with all of you guys. It's great to see how, how much chess has grown in the last year during this uh, very unfortunate pandemic. I think for me, um, since the time when I was very young, I've always believed that there's a lot of potential for chess to grow on the internet just in, in general. And, um, you know, when I started out with streaming maybe two years ago, it was sort of a fun passion project. I just want to bring the game to more people if I could. And um, during the pandemic, it seems there were a lot of people who started rediscovering their loves when they were younger. A lot of people played chess growing up. And so um, really just trying to bring that game to the audience, always being there every day. And then also doing collaborations with a lot of big streamers certainly grew the audience. Um, of course, on Twitch, there was a huge boom. There was Queen's Gambit, which happened later on in the year. Um, but I think also what's really important to note is that sort of bringing out the personality of chess players is something that has always been an issue. Chess is perceived as a game that is played by a lot of nerdy people or people who are much older. Um, it's not something that's seen as hip and cool. And I think when you bring out your personality, you show that the game is so fascinating and you try to explain it in ways that someone who maybe does not play chess at all or plays chess only a little bit can understand, it makes a huge difference. And I think that perception change is what has really blown up chess um, around the world in last year. 
Is that, is that something, talk a little bit more about that, if you would, about your role as an, as an esports team member, as an influencer for the game. Is that something you really think about actively when you're on camera, trying to let people inside your head in a way that people haven't felt connected with top chess players historically? Yeah, so I think it, it took quite a bit of um, practice for me because I think, again, I played chess professionally for many years. There is a certain lingo that you use. If I were to talk to, say, Robert, for example, I'm pretty sure the conversation I have with, with, with Robert would be much different than, say, the conversations that I have on Twitch. So it definitely took quite a bit of practice. But the other great thing is that when a lot of other streamers have gotten into it, they actually have created their own sort of lingo and their own words that they use to explain things. Um, so that certainly has helped. But for me, uh, it's, it's sort of looking at the game from the perspective especially as somebody who has a mother who doesn't I, my mother does not play chess where it's like well how can i make her understand something about the game even though she doesn't really play and then it's like you look at a square you explain how the piece moves or you try to explain it um you know you, you don't use the chess terms like a positional move you try to explain exactly what the next move is what the next step is and in a very simplified kind of way um and i just try to do what i can and obviously it's i've, I've been very successful at it Yep. I thought you guys just communicated by arrows. I thought that was, that's how it works. <laughs> just just by drawing your thoughts. Daryl, I, I was just going to jump to you next. And obviously, Hikaru uh, set the tone really well in terms of how, you know, what chess is, is, is doing online and, and how top chess players are sort of changing. I thought we agreed I wasn't going to have to talk since I don't no, know. No, we, we disagreed on that. In fact, I added notes here <laughs> you didn't know to the script. Okay. And because I want to talk to you about chess, I think in some ways has transitioned online faster and, and maybe grown faster than people thought it would because it's the same game over the board in real life as it is online like exactly the same right which makes it a very unique sort of e-sport i-sport people feel like they can connect with it and then turn around and play on a wooden board what what do you see as a guy from the nba the, the sports angle looking at what other sports have done to try to bring the esports generation, right? NBA 2K League and other things that have happened uh, online and, and did happen on Twitch, especially during the pandemic. What, what, are, what are the comparisons you would make to what real sports have tried to do to bring their game online and grow the audience versus what chess has done to bring its game online and grow the audience? Well, I'll just say high level. I'm pretty excited for chess because it's something I played as a kid. And frankly, I've known you guys for a good good amount of time now. And I think a lot of us, at least, and the one reason we're all on this stream is I think we all sort of predicted that chess could get bigger. I think none of us knew it would probably have the explosion. At, and at this moment we did, but I remember talking to, I think all of you at one point, and as an esports owner, we owned a league of legends team. And at the time when we first bought a team, Hearthstone was like this big game online for streamers. And I was like, Hearthstone is like the worst damn game ever compared to chess. It makes no sense in a million years that this dreamed up game called Hearthstone is somehow bigger than chess. And so chess to me is like one of the most exciting, interesting games that has ever been created. And the fact that it stood the test of time, it felt yep. like it was going to take this explosion compared to the NBA. I, uh, I think the NBA is obviously a game that's trying to connect with the audience that really chess has over the last year or two in a, in a big way, which is this younger audience. We're the best major sport at connecting to those young fans, but it's something we need to do more, whether it be through top shots, which I think is going to transition into, uh, you, you know, owning the actual players and playing the game like they're doing in soccer NFT. So uh, over time, I see the NBA trying to actually catch up to chess streaming. If you can believe it, chess is actually now out ahead at capturing a lot of these audiences that, I believe chess has over the past year, uh, yep. you know, because of a lot of great content that's being created by the folks on this panel. 
Yeah, great point. And, and you, you talked about how we've all had these discussions about how chess needed its big moment. It deserved it, right? Right. Take that, Hearthstone. And so I think I feel like it's a natural question to head over to you, Robert, because chess is having this huge explosion online. We're going to continue talking more about it. But what about chess, in your eyes, has allowed it to kind of just continue to survive and slowly grow in the backgrounds of societies over over literally centuries? And, and what is it do you feel like is inherently that allows the game to continue to grow and sort of never get capped out in terms of bringing in new and interested enthusiasts? Yeah, there are many factors here, I'd say. One is nostalgia. Many people play chess as kids. They may lose the game for a bit, but they still have those fond memories of maybe playing with a grandparent or something like that. And I'll also add from the sports angle, it's the more forecasting nature. Unlike other sports where, and I'm a huge sports fan, you see a team score, you see them you know, get the ball and basketball and go for the next possession. You don't exactly know what they're about to do. In chess, you can see what has happened. You can see the present state of things. And then you can say, all right, this is what likely will happen based on the complete information you have in front of you. So I think that chess has that going for it. And just to touch on the Queen's Gambit very briefly, there are two things in that show that I thought did extremely well. Uh, Hikar used... Uh, said words. And I think words is important because chess is a game played in silence. And uh, there are two moments that I want to highlight. One is when uh, Beth Harmon is at the board about to play Benny Watts for the first time. And you see the pieces move by themselves because that's what happens in chess. A lot of the most interesting things in chess don't actually appear they're not visible to the audience and that i would say is my role as a commentator i know jennifer can attest this as well with all the commentaries she's done over the years that that is what you do is you bring out what cannot be seen or what is not seen and show how much life there is in a position and the other scene from the queen's gambit i want to mention is when they're in the car just talking about chess chess is a language that people like to speak it's fun for them they have those memories and then they can talk with their friends about it so they can play a game in their heads based on all the work they put in yeah well said. And obviously you touched on the Queen's Gambit and getting getting to Jen now. Apologies. It took so long, but we've got I've got several questions here for you, because I think to start, for those who don't know, obviously Jen was introduced as a woman's grandmaster and one of the leaders in terms of growing chess for women globally. But she's also a semi kind of professional poker player. Right, Jen? Or, you know, you know, obviously you've been in the poker scene for years. And one of the things I, I wanted to ask you about is. The Queen's Gambit happened and obviously it pushed chess into the mainstream. We've seen all this growth. Rounders happened in 1998, and that also led to that crazy run of, of online poker just booming. What, but what do, you, what do you think the comparisons are between what happened with Rounders in 1998 and, and online poker and the Queen's Gambit in 2020? And also, what do, you, what do you, as you look at both of those games, chess and poker, what do you feel chess has done to uniquely kind of position itself to capitalize on that all of a sudden mainstream media that was sort of dropped on its lap? Well, I think the, the chess boom, just like the poker boom, the seeds were planted um, far before 2020, right? Like with everything that you guys are doing at chess.com and all the scholastic programs all over the country that are building up chess, you know, coast to coast, you know, everything that's happening in St. Louis. And so when the Queen's Gambit and the streaming boom happened in 2020, I feel like everybody was ready for it. And that... Uh, also came at a really perfect time for chess. I mean, there was a mini poker boom um, during the pandemic as well, just because people are at home more. But chess was much, much bigger, as we all know. And I think part of that was because this moment, as Robert mentions, um, with a game of complete information, where um, you, what you put in is what you get out. 
I, I think it's very important for the chaos that we've experienced in this year. You know, people want that stability, a game that makes you feel like um, your effort um, will match your outcome, right? Um, that is, that's chess right there. It's not like life. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about it for this moment. And it's yeah. also um, accessible to, to everyone, right? Like not everyone, I should say. I mean, you do need an, an, a pretty um, fast internet connection and you need um, a device, but it's accessible to more people than ever. Um, you don't need money to get into the game, right? And I think that's also a, a great thing about it for this moment. Jennifer, can I ask a quick question based on what you just said there? Uh, you know, some things you said are definitely appealing about chess, but what do you think about the rating system? The fact that you know exactly your progress, you can track it based on the number next to your name. Do you think that, I think for some people that's deflating when they don't see that progress, but on the flip side, as someone in different, uh, you know, universes, chess, poker, and more, and education, do you think that plays a role there? Well, I think that can be frustrating, but one of the beautiful things about the chess boom and the online chess boom is that there's multiple rating systems, right? So some people are really good at bullet, you know, because they've, they've got the pre moves down, they're good with their mouse. And so they can seize progress in that area. And some people are working on their openings and their tactics, and they can see progress in the rapid rating. So I think that's actually something that we've unlocked different ways to succeed. And then what about Twitch? Now it's not just about getting better at chess. It's also about learning to engage with your audience more that you so that you can get more, keep more viewers and get more followers. So the fact that we've created a world where you can win in a lot of different ways, um, you can be better at puzzles. You could beat your puzzle rush score. You could play a more beautiful move than you've ever played before. I think we want to just keep capitalizing on that. Can I ask a question as a fanboy of, of all the streamers who are on here? And that's like... You guys have two roles, both to entertain and also educate. And it feels like, you know, each of you has a different balance of that. And it seems like the streaming is rewarding maybe more the entertainment versus education, whereas I often am trying to tune in to learn. And I'm sure many people who are watching this are like that as well. How do you guys sort of balance that entertainment education aspect or do you even not think of that? Do you just stream? Um, I, I guess I'll, I'll start with that. I, I think, um, you know, the, the way that I look at it is when I'm just playing blitz matches, it's very much just about entertaining, trying to play good chess, but entertaining the crowds almost exclusively. Um, there, there are times, though, when I do specifically plan on doing edu educational content, whether it's going over games from the past, whether it's my own games, whether it's, say, playing against some other streamers and, and then talking the games through afterwards. There, there are many different ways of going about it. Um, I would say purely when I'm streaming, if it's not planned, then it's just, it's almost like, I would say 80%, 90% entertainment. Um, but to, to sort of keep it balanced and also provide some educational content, I do, um, I do plan out various parts of my stream. So it's not all just like turn on the stream and then just, just go with it. There, there is quite a bit of work behind the scenes. And Robert, what, I, I was, I was going to say to build on that, like, what do you, what do you think in terms of the styles of chess? Jen, Jen mentioned quickly bullet chess. For those who don't speak online chess, that's the fastest way you can play chess. It's only one minute for both players. And then there's what we call classical chess, which is what the world championship is known for, some of the longest time controls. And when you look at the different styles of the game, there's kind of something for everyone there. But what do you, what do you think of as a commentator? Do you change your commentary style based on the time control to make it more relatable, more educational, more entertaining, just depending on whatever experience is happening there? Well, I think I don't have a choice because if I'm covering bullet chess, 
the game is ending if I'm trying to go into a deep sequence of moves. So I've, some people say I'm like an auctioneer in bullet chess because I'm just trying to spit every piece of information out as quickly as I can. And I am focusing on the education more than anything. And you know, when I'm hired to do official commentary versus when I'm commentating on my own channel, uh, there will be differences there, of course, because there are priorities. But I'm always trying to help people improve those who want to because I think there are different players in this game, right? Some people um, should be the face of playing chess and other people are more about teaching and everyone should have their own path. Neither is better than the other. Uh, But I I do tend to focus on the bringing out the educational nuggets so that when people leave the stream, leave the, their watching experience, they say, wait, I I learned something today. And that was kind of cool. Yep. I think you guys should add to streams to, to, to copy from the NBA. You should be like, this just isn't the same chess. It was so much better when Karpov was playing, you know, when Alekin, you know, he used to, when he was making those guns, no one makes the gun anymore. You know, this don't, is just don't a, shampoo. Yeah, this is, the, yeah, I don't know why you're tuning into this game right now. It's being ruined by all these H4 moves, you know, it's just terrible. So I feel that way too, though, but this panel is about what sports can learn from chess, not what chess can learn from sports. <laughs> how, how, the, how the NBA can ruin chess streaming. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> the NBA new, can ruin chess. The new channel. Well, I, 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 Go ahead, Jen. Oh, I was just going to say about education and entertainment. I, you know, I think about um, a lot of my work, um, especially with girls. I do a lot of workshops with girls during this pandemic. We do them actually many times a, a week even. We're adding women into the mix as well with the, the Queen's Gambit boom, attracting a lot of women into the game. And I actually really do think that entertainment and inspiration is more important for me because I figure if you're teaching these kids for an hour, um, it's been a really tough year. Um, I want them to feel good afterwards and excited. That's the most valuable thing because we all know that to become a really great chess player, you number one, need to put a lot of work in yourself. So if I can just make them, you know, more excited about chess and maybe have a bigger community of girls and women that they can talk chess with, I think that's by far the most important thing. Yeah. If you don't mind, if I can jump on that for a second, I feel the same way. And, uh, you know, there are different times in, for, to, for example, for me personally to stream and to coach on stream or coach privately. But I think the biggest impact that some can make is those, you know, you don't know when you plant the seeds and that love of the game, how that spreads. So I think that, you know, what Jennifer is saying, what she does every single week, and I mean, it's amazing work. And I try to, when I coach people, just instill that love of the game in them and foster it as best I can, because that will spread. And I think that's actually what chess is benefiting from too. Are we yeah, still are we still chasing women out of chess? Has that gotten better? I hope. <laughs> I, I like if you gonna, go back, my my go next ahead, question Jen. is is kind of centered around. I mean, Jen has touched on a couple of times, and and so coming coming back to the Queen's Gambit and all the work that you do uh, for for women in chess, Jen, and the, you know keeping girls interested and also just helping to grow the game at the highest levels. But how, how did you, as a professional female chess player and and a very accomplished one? relate to the to the main protagonist right the female protagonist being Beth Harmon when we know that the world rankings are, are mostly male dominant right and and has it has historically been a male dominated sport so as someone who's deeply involved obviously in these efforts what how did you how did you take the on-screen portrayal of the the female protagonist and has it changed in your view how how girls see top chess players I mean in working with girls is is there is there a different take on on what they might you know 
want to accomplish in chess and, and how far they might go. And what, talk a little bit, if you would, just about what you've noticed in the difference in terms of the diversity and interest by girls since the Queen's Gambit. Oh, yeah. I mean, I really related to the protagonist, you know, her hair, her, her love <laughs> for the Sicilian defense, not so much the drugs, but right. <laughs> um, definitely, definitely it is um, really changed the, um, the vision of chess. And it's kind of like a dream come true, honestly. I mean, I have such respect for um, everybody who's behind making that series because, you know, I've been trying to tell people for so many years that chess is not just competitive, it's also beautiful and, and it can be glamorous. You can travel the world. You can meet people you never would have had a chance to meet. And that also when you have troubles in your life and you play a chess game, everything melts away. You know, you just are totally absorbed. And, you know, you can tell people that all you want, but if they see the Queen's Gambit, they feel it. And, you know, they're always going to have more respect for the game, even if they don't take it up seriously. So it was a beautiful thing to happen. And as for people who are really serious about chess girls, um, I see a lot of teens coming back to the game. Um, I definitely see a lot of women interested in the game. And, and that's fantastic because even if they're not going to become serious players, they really um, are going to have a greater interest in teaching their, their daughters and their sons. And I also think that the way that men treated Beth in the series was so um, wonderful. Like, you know, every time a man was interested in her and she said she wasn't interested, they just, they were, they, they were like, yeah, of course. Okay. Let's just talk about the Sicilian. I'm done. It was just so um, respectful. They helped her when she needed to win against Borgov. Um, and I think that a lot of people didn't like that because they said it was unrealistic, but I, I think that, you know, we all need a little fantasy in our lives and hopefully it can be an inspiration for, for men who watch it. For a more cooperative experience overall. And yeah, I, I, Great point. And I, I wonder, what are your thoughts on what the long-term impact of this be? Obviously, it's, like you said, inspiring uh, some girls to come back in their teens and young girls looking at, at, a, at a female hero in a different way. And, and do you have any worries that it'll be short-lived based on the popularity of this? Or do you feel like it has the feeling of something that will, that will sustain itself and have long-term impact on the interest of girls playing chess? Well, I think you know the answer to that, Danny, because, you know, it's already been, what, um, seven months and there's yeah. still such great interest and such rising numbers and, you know, people playing and watching chess. You know, I think that the set point for chess has gone up because of that series. You know, they talk right. about, you know, you have a set point of happiness. I think that chess is always going to have an elevated position um, more than before. Of course, there will be some, you know, peaks and volleys, but uh, I heard there's a musical coming out, Danny, so... Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's already, be another already a chess musical very excited <laughs> for that um no a great point yeah and you're right obviously there's been a lot of things going on online both before the queen's gambit and after that that say we're you know sustain it it's going to sustain itself and we can i can say that on chess.com we do have a higher uh, members who report their their age and gender whatever you know whatever information they want to share that we have seen an increase in um in women uh players online so um i want i want to come back to what um you've all touched on a whole bunch as far as chess, the educational aspects of it, right? Because it is a hard game. All chess content, all chess streaming has to have some sort of educational element to it to help people learn and grow. But the entertainment aspect has been the thing that I think has inspired a lot of people to be like, oh, it can be fun, even if I'm not the best. We, we've had this event online, Hikaru, the, the PogChamps event that's run, where we've seen celebrities, actors like Rain Wilson from The Office. We've seen rappers. We've seen professional poker players all kind of tip their toe in. Do, do you think that that part of the game as far as making it relatable and, and, and attractive is 
is something that has been why why has has that changed what what has helped change the perception is it that the time controls are faster and just easier for the audience to follow is it that you know just more top players are streaming their thoughts like like what you've been doing what what do you think of the reason is that the the online community has just gotten so interested in it I think actually more so than anything else, yeah, PogChamps has, has been one of the biggest drivers. And the reason for that is because you see streamers who are not professional chess players. Many of them have, have only taken up chess over, over the last couple of weeks or months prior to an event. And when you have streamers playing it, making mistakes that a lot of other people will make in their games as, as newer players, um, that definitely provides a lot more relatability. So I think for the most part, when you see people make blunders and understand that everybody makes mistakes and nobody is perfect, that really does provide um, a different lens through which people see chess because ordinarily all that you hear about are the absolute top players in the world. And on, you know, I can't, can't count how many times uh, I've literally told someone that I play chess. I say, oh, wow, you must be really smart. That's like literally what you hear every single time. And so I think, again, when you hear people say that, it shows that a lot of people are intimidated. They think it's something you have to be really smart to be good at. And when you see these streamers, uh, you know, in many cases struggling with the game, they're trying to improve as best they can. Um, everybody realizes that, you know, there are the grandmasters, the players who are the very best of the game, but there are a lot of people who are, who are also just um, trying to get better at it. And they will make many mistakes, just like the average Joe will or the average viewer will. And I think that that makes a huge difference. As yeah. Robert knows, if you're good at chess, that means you're good at everything. Everything. Yeah, Yeah, that's definitely a uh, something that's I fight against because I think, as Hikar was saying, that people, uh, of course, they put chess players on a pedestal historically, but they also then put themselves down. They say, "I I can't count the amount of times I've told somebody what I do that I'm a chess grandmaster," and they say oh, well, I'm too stupid to play chess. I'm like, no, you're not. That's not true at all. And you asked about the commentary. In my commentary, I try to reinforce that that's not the case. And that's why those educational nuggets are so important because it's about building blocks, right? We weren't just born and then playing chess at a grandmaster level. That's not how it works. And nobody has to become a grandmaster. You can play chess just for fun. And I encourage that. That's what I like to see. And you asked about PogChamps. None of the players are trying to become professionals. Some of them have taken it very seriously. Uh, we just saw Sardosh win the third PogChamps and he's raising his rating. He still loves chess. You see Ludwig, who's in the midst of the biggest Twitch thing ever with his subathon, which is just crazy. He plays chess all the time. So I think it is accessible and it is digestible and people can relate. So they see hey, this person who I've watched for a long time, they just blundered their queen on move six. Oh, okay. Well, that's like me. And now I don't feel so bad about it. So I think what people need to recognize is that even the best players in the world, whether it's Hikaru, Magnus Carlsen, you name the player, we all make mistakes. We're human. And nobody has to expect themselves to be able to play perfect chess because nobody does. Well, staying on that topic, Robert, you and I, before Pog Champs and before this whole thing, blew up online with chess. The, the, the most watched chess event in history before that was our commentary for the 2018 World Chess Championship. And that had no mistakes. In fact, it was all draws. And I can't tell you how many interviews we did, right? Both of us for people wondering what's wrong, right? Why is it not exciting? Do you, is it as simple as just saying, you know, that chess needs more variance? There needs to be more ups and downs for people to be able to relate to it. And, and do you feel like the, the classical high levels of chess can learn something a little bit from, from how chess is being presented? Um, if not played, maybe they don't want to play that way, but how chess is being presented in, in the online PogChamps format? 
it's actually something I feel like I've learned well from sports, a sports lover, as I mentioned, somebody who watches a lot. I, when you hear the commentators go at it, they don't just focus on the final result because, of course, when you get to the end of the game, it's exciting. You have to emphasize those moments. But chess is not defined by the wins, the losses, and the draws. It's about how you play. And that should be the important aspect. Now, at a professional level, at the end of the day, you have to win to take home first place, and that is essential. But that's what chess is. It's always a process, a, a growth period. And PogChamps embody bodies that completely you see people as a card mentioned starting from not knowing how the pieces move you see them trying to struggle checkmating with a, a lone queen and a king against an enemy king which is one of the most elementary checkmates you learn as a, as a kid if you start playing chess then and so they struggle with that and then they come and become very good chess players and seeing that process i think is inspiring i think a big thing with pog champs too is you, you fix the time controls like one thing with chess is like, look, it's, I think it's best at shorter time controls. I don't like bullet, but rapid blitz, I think are the best to watch. You know, it'd be like the NBA, if it took six hours to play, no one would watch. Like, so like finding the right balance of uh, like what time length of the event and what time allows the, the skills of the players to be shown. Uh, I think the, every sport needs to find that balance. And I think chess has, and, I'm curious what you guys think is is the are the best time controls for for chess in terms of viewership. Why don't we ask I, everyone that? We'll start with whoever wants yeah, to take sure. it. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's it's 100. It's rapid chess, which is games with 30 minutes or less, or blitz chess, where both players have five minutes or less on on the clock. Um, and that that includes bullet as well. Uh, I think the main reason is because the action is very fast paced. And, and one thing that I remember, even when I was playing a lot of over the board tournaments when I was younger. Um, when there were spectators, they would automatically go to the game where someone did not have a lot of time and there were moves that were mm -hmm. happening very, ra very rapidly. And so even if people can't completely understand what's going on in the game, just the, the visuals of the really fast moves and seeing the time ticking down, that does resonate in, in a way that I think you, you don't really have that with classical chess. Um, so to me, for viewership, it's rapid and blitz. Will there be a place for perfection and absolutely, um, you know, the, the best possible chess being played? That will always be classical chess. Um, but I think for viewership and, and raising the popularity, it's, it's always going to be about rapid chess and blitz chess. Jen, you want to add to that? Yeah. And when you, when you speak about the world championship, which as you mentioned, classical time control, 12 games, all draws, like, yeah, you might get the most perfect chess from that, but do you really decide who the better player is? Because there's also an argument that you need to get in more games. And so maybe there's a happy medium where you have, more games and you use like some something in between rapid and classical like you know game in two hours or game in 90 something around that that and, and fit in more games at as for a spectator i really love um rapid chess like anywhere from game 10 to 25 i love being able to like you know think about what they're going to do for a few moments in the game and see um how they pick out those few critical moments to think hard and then the rest of it is just pure drama I think that's a wonderful balance. Is classic the most perfect chess or the most safe chess? I mean, mm. that would be that would be one question I'd have. Like, obviously, it's more precise, but it's also safer, right? Often. So. Right. Robert, do you want to add any final thoughts on this on this topic since we kicked it off with the World Championship mentioned in classical chess, which took rapid to ultimately decide a winner in 2018? Uh, but your your final thoughts on this topic. 
Yeah, I think rapid chess is a very good one because it gives you enough time to analyze and to show what's happening and also gives the players enough time to really think through the complications. I think from a spectator's point of view, people love, as Hikar was saying, I mean, we grew up playing in all these tournaments and you see everyone huddled around those games where they're slamming the clock. And that's because chess isn't really a visual sport. You don't see much happening in between moves. Somebody can be thinking for 40 minutes and you're like, uh, is, is it frozen? Has the screen stopped working? Because chess is done in the brain. That brings me back to the Queen's Gambit. That's why I loved that scene where you see the moves being played in, from Beth's head onto the board because that's how chess works. So I do like the rapid format. I do think there is a place for all type controls, and it depends on your level of interest and really what you're trying to gain or uh, seek in watching chess. Yep. Well, we are um, about 15 minutes out, and I want to thank everybody who's been uh, playing along with us using the hashtag uh, Beyond the Gambit. Remind you that you can continue to do that for the next few minutes. We already have a list of questions that I'm going to get to for our panelists um, from, from the audience, all those of you following on social media. So thank you. Continue to do it. Your questions are in front of me, and I'm going to get to them in just a second. After kind of our final question, which we do now, I feel like we do this kind of at the end of all of our chess panels, Daryl, uh, when, we, when we talk about at the end, the comparisons, obviously this is the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference, right? What are the comparisons between chess and sports and what can uh, both sides learn from each other? So I'm going to ask you kind of the, the, the big question uh, before we get to our, our other panelists, which is specific to the NBA. What do you think the NBA, if it, if it could take a, a leaf out of chess both the game itself, maybe the, the formats of it and all the things we've been talking about in terms of how to present it, but then also the content and the way that it's been brought to communities online. What could the NBA learn most from chess if you were if you were in charge of, let's say, an NBA team, maybe based in Philadelphia or something <laughs> like that? I would say the, the one thing I'd love to be able to replicate, and we're getting there, uh, is some of the analysis that's done. Obviously, chess is a lot easier to analyze, but uh, some of the analysis that's been done which is comparing what was done on the court to like what is maybe the uh, something close to an engine perfection, which uh, I don't even know how you judge that because there is a no perfect move yet, but closest to the perfect move. And frankly, when you're judging players, it's very hard to analyze basketball players unless you can break down what choice did they make relative to the choices they could make. So a lot of our analysis yeah. is, is based on that. And as usual chess, like we've talked about in the past on, fraud detection and things like that. Chess is, a, is leading the way uh, in my mind. And then, uh, yeah, to your point, I think chess again, leading the way with pog champs. Uh, I do think like people who aren't necessarily amazing at basketball, playing each other in basketball could be entertaining. You saw recently like Brian, the white Mamba, Brian Scalabrini, you know, <laughs> showing, you know, basically, uh, basically it was like uh, Jen or Hikaru or Robert, you know, playing, uh, playing a college level uh, player and just showing them that a pro player is at a completely different level. Uh, and, uh, you know, even, even, a, even a solid beatdown is entertaining, especially if there's mm -hmm. a lot of bravado. But I do think like a, you've seen celebrity basketball games, but we could do it more consistently versus just at the all-star game once a year. Right. That's a great point. I, I'm going to, I'm going to let everyone give, give an answer to that kind of that final question. I'll, I'll start with you, Hikaru. What do you, any, anything to add in terms of what you think sports could also take away from chess? Same way the question, both formats, but also the way it's presented to fans and, and the content and the things that have happened online for chess. 
Yeah, and I, I think to add on what Daryl said, this doesn't just apply to NBA. I think this actually applies to esports in general as well, which is that the analytic part of chess is something that really does not exist for a lot of esports out there, whether it be League of Legends, whether it be something like Dota, um, Fortnite, etc. It really doesn't exist in that kind of way. I know when I've done some of the collaborations with League streamers specifically, they really get into it because the tools are right there at their fingertips in a way that they aren't for the game that they are that they specialize in. So I think the analytics is the sorry the analysis is the most important thing that chess has going for it and um if it's if there's a way that you can kind of translate that to nba or other games um it's it, that would be really useful yeah uh robert well i think you know we've highlighted this a bunch but the way that we describe chess when we're analyzing it i think is becomes increasingly digestible for the masses where you can explain why certain things are happening, but you also have complete information. So it wouldn't be too fair to be overly harsh to announcers from other sports and to, to media. But I feel like, you know, 538, I love 538. Their sports uh, analysis and looks are fantastic, but I don't think it's for the lay person who does want to increase their knowledge base, but doesn't know enough to just dive into these numbers that seem random to them. And Chess has this benefit of all this information. You know, you see the start of the game, it's a story. And you go from the first page of the story all the way through to the final one. And I, I hope that there's a way that sports can integrate that more into their broadcast, into their reporting, because I think that will be helpful for people who just are interested in learning about the sport, not just from watching it. And I think people enjoy learning. Education is fun. So gamifying that whole uh, process, I think, is enjoyable for many. And I think that could be an added benefit. Great. Jen? Well, first of all, I want to say a big welcome to Daryl to Philadelphia, as I'm a lifelong Philadelphia born and raised. And <laughs> I was just so thrilled to see you um, move here to lead the Sixer. So thank you. And as to Danny's question, you know, one of the most interesting things I, ha I think happened in chess in the past year, which didn't get quite as much attention as it should have, is the work that DeepMind did um, to experiment with all these different rules of chess. So it, we all know that um, well, in the chess world, we, it got a lot of attention as well in the mainstream when Google DeepMind created an AI that was way better than any other chess program in history, right? AlphaZero. But more recently, they, they tried to challenge AlphaZero to figure out what would happen if the rules of chess were just a little bit different, just like simulating it with a small tweak, like the pawn can move two squares all game. And I thought this was incredibly um, eye-opening that now you're thinking about now, not how do I get, not how do I get better at chess, but is it possible that in an alternate universe, chess is slightly better? And I think yeah. you can think about in any world, any subculture, any game in that same way, and it could um, clue you in to some ideas. We yeah. won't let Daryl go off about all the rules he'd like to tweak in the NBA <laughs> right now. Daryl, ban the charge. Ban the charge, Daryl. Well, <laughs> ban the charge. All yeah, we know is that uh, Joel for sure would be nerfed if it was an eSport. He's, he's too good. So. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, we've got some great questions from um, from those following the uh, the panel here. And thank you so much. So I, I'm going to stay on the – I'm going to jump ahead on some that we have because I want to I want to go back to you, Jen, because what you just talked about in regards to the, the DeepMind project from Google, obviously what AlphaZero did, um, and the, the question is, do, do we believe, do, do you believe that the younger generation, as they begin to play in a world where the computers are so dominant and so prevalent, it's going to change um, 
the overall style and and just how chess is played for the for the generations to come is, are we seeing something change in terms of how people are approaching the game because of the influence of the ai our our, our ai overlords um, well, I think absolutely it's changing for many years, right? I mean, of yeah. course, Ricardo playing at the Super Grandmaster level would perhaps have the most um, granular things to say about the recent changes with Alpha Zero and, you know, the purported propensity for players of all levels to charge their H pawn more frequently now, as that was something Alpha Zero definitely championed. But I think ever since, you know, um, Gary Kasparov was defeated by um, Deep Blue. Um, there's been a tremendous influence. I mean, people talk about defense getting stronger as you analyze with um, engines and see that just because your position looks terrible doesn't mean you're going to lose for sure. So I, there's definitely a huge influence. Well, a, Is that like an engines, attitude change that's going to happen? A, a, a generation that's a little more persevering because of what engines had showed us, do you think? Well, I think that's already happened. I mean, yeah. uh, I mean, well, I, I know that Hikaru said something about how he thinks people aren't as good at attacking as they used to be, partly because of engine analysis. Is is that right, Hikaru? Um, you said something very interesting about that a couple of years I, in the I St. Louis broadcast. I think, I, yeah, I, I think what I said is that I think some of the fundamentals, um, people people forget about them or you sort of undervalue certain parts of the game, especially attacking, because nowadays if you use a computer in your analysis, almost any position that you have, if you're not behind a material, there, there is almost always a resource where you can save the game and you're not going to lose. So I think a lot of people do undervalue certain parts of the game. That being said, I think going forward, you are going to have a generation of kids who their understanding of the game will be different because they will have used computers from the time they start. But secondly, they also will be able to incorporate the alpha zero sort of games and the, a better understanding of how alpha zero or like how alpha zero understands it versus say players like myself or players like Magnus. So even if we try to incorporate some of these themes into our play, we can't, we won't be able to understand the same way that some of these kids will. We've got a lot of buzz in the chat right now about the answers we're giving here and also the conversation heading towards something that I, I'm going to jump to it because we were talking about this before we went live based on Daryl asking whether whether we all thought there was a future for chess betting. We know that sports has betting, right? Uh, if we didn't get the memo, right? Chess does not historically have a betting culture. And um, Daryl, I'm going I'm to start with you. Like, what, what do you do you think that there's a future for people betting on chess? What do you think the reasons are it hasn't made it into chess? And then then I'll go to Robert next i think betting on x me is is yes <laughs> like i mean people people like to bet people like to gamify things uh anything that gives you an instant reaction the the, the slot machine effect has been studied heavily in psychology so anything that creates a slot machine effect of instant feedback and reward or non-reward uh, always succeeds um we may not want it but it always succeeds I was well then, Robert. Why do you think it hasn't made its way in yet? Right, as as chess grandmaster, chess commentator. What are the reasons? If it's if it seems like a foregone conclusion that betting should be a big part of chess, especially on top level chess, why is it never kind of made its way into our into our chess culture? The simple answer is people just don't put effort into it. It would be very easy to implement, and I don't see why you you couldn't. I'm not promoting gambling, uh, you know, but you look at professional sports like basketball it's on every single broadcast i watch a ton of nba and you see i'm talking spreads and things like that and they're sponsored by some of the biggest uh, like DraftKings and uh, organizations like that so i think it will be a part of chess 
Um, I think that there's a lot you can do with it when you analyze, oh, this player is gets the white pieces against this opponent. How do they historically do? How do they historically do in this tournament uh, scenario where they have a half point lead? What's the most likely result? You can actually do deep dives into the analysis. And I think people will do it. And as Daryl said, I think people will enjoy it, even if that's not something I myself would necessarily. I predict for the next year, one of you guys will be sponsored by a betting. So <laughs> I'm actually serious. I'm a hundred percent serious. Yeah. Nicole, right. Do you have any, cons- do you have any thoughts on as a top player who might be bet on, right. Competing in some of these tournaments and, and people might have data on what Nakamura has done historically with white in this situation. Do you have any concerns or what are your thoughts a- about that as, as a player? Yeah, so, I have, so I- oh, good. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Daryl. Were you say no, you go ahead, Carl. Okay. What, what I would say in general, and I think this is the biggest issue or impediment in terms of, of betting in chess, which is that right now the prize funds and tournaments relative to the amount of money that could be bet, they, they aren't comparable. And mm. so the, the opportunities for sort of, for sort of bad things going on or games, you know, going a certain way could be a big issue. I, I think a large part of what has happened on Twitch, which is really important is that you're having a lot of chess streamers who are getting sponsorship deals. And I think this sort of trickles down. It goes every, every which way. And I think when you start having more major sponsors involved with top level tournaments and you have bigger prize funds specifically, that is when betting will, will, will be um, a realistic possibility. I think right now to me, I don't think it is because the risk reward for someone to make a bet on themselves or against themselves, potentially through a, through an intermediary, I think there's much more gain financially than there is from playing the tournament. So that's my biggest issue at the moment. The car makes a good point in that if you look at the history of betting, the reason it went away from the major sports was the players started making just huge amounts of money in the NBA, such that the the risk of them, yeah, gambling uh, or doing something nefarious was bigger than the benefit. So it's a great point. Sorry, Jennifer. Yeah, do you want to oh. wait? Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say that um, you mentioned earlier that I am in this intersection of chess and poker. And I I do know that poker players love chess. The Joker's Gambit is coming up on Hikaru's channel and they bet a lot amongst themselves. So there's definitely a private betting market going on um, in the poker community. Um, But I also think that with like the the size of the market and the potential for, you know, the the things that Hikaru mentioned, maybe fantasy um, chess is is the right solution, because I think that's a little bit easier to regulate and also not as problematic or concerning. So maybe we'll see more of that. Robert, I'll let you give final thoughts on that. Come full circle as we're kind of wrapping up on this topic that, that took our, our whole chat discussion. I apologize to other great questions that came in, but I think this ended up being the most fascinating angle. Yeah, no, that I think it's all a fair point. Chess is a game of individual responsibility. So unlike a team sport where you could still throw, and that has happened, as we know, but you can just easily throw in chess and get a result that suits you. And chess does not have that much money in So Hikaru's point is very valid. So I, that would be a concern. I just think when it comes to gambling, while that, is valid. I, I don't necessarily think that they always prioritize and you know, what's the most ethical situation. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we, we, I think it will happen. And I think, you know, I, Magnus Carlson is tied with a betting company, right. In, in, uh, you know, gaming company in Europe. So it's already happening. Not, it will happen. It's already starting yeah. to happen. I will say, I think you guys are overly concerned. Like, look, it's pretty easy to tell when someone's, you know, throwing a match, especially at certain time controls. I, I mean, I, it's, like if, if Nicaro or Jen or you, Robert, started to play moves that are completely suboptimal, I think it would be pretty pretty obvious to me. But. It'd be pretty hard to guess if I was doing it because all the moves <laughs> are suboptimal. <laughs> <laughs> all right. 
on, on that note, we'll wrap it up with apparently what Chess needs to learn from other sports is figure out a way to uh, to engage the fans in that in that sense. But this has been this has been awesome. Uh, on on behalf of the the whole crew here, I want to thank everybody who tuned in. Uh, thank thank you, Daryl, for for having all of us and and the entire team working hard here at the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference here in 2021. Robert, Jen, Hikaru, that's uh, that's it for us. I'm told we're going to sign off and uh, and thank you everybody and uh, hope to, hopefully to see you maybe maybe next year. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. This recording is the property of 42 Analytics and may not be published, broadcast, rewritten, or redistributed without the express written consent of 42 Analytics. Any opinions expressed by panelists are their own and do not represent the beliefs of the conference, 42 Analytics, or the MIT Sloan School of Management. 42 Analytics Educational, Inc. reserves all rights in the content.